This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're celebrating Christmas with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. He came from Germany, of course, and Queen Victoria made sure that there was the Germanic tradition of decorated Christmas trees, evergreen decorations around the house, and of course the giving of presents. We focus on how the Queen spent the festive season at her private residence, Osborne. There was no sort of hiding and squirrelling away of gifts under the Christmas tree wrapped up in glittery paper. (laughs) Everything was arranged, laid out on tables in a room. So it was quite a different, more formal kind of arrangement of gift giving and exchange. And we'll discover how many of today's Christmas traditions stem from that period. Don't forget, you can join us on the English Heritage Podcast here every Thursday. So make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. Now, this week, we're counting down to a Christmas with the Victorians. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, to be precise. And with me to discuss how this 19th century monarch and her family celebrated at one particular residence is collections curator of Osborne, Michael Hunter. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, Michael. Oh, thanks, uh, Charles. It's very nice to be with you again. So, briefly, Michael, for people who don't know, let's just set the scene again. Uh, Where is Osborne? And how much time did Queen Victoria and Prince Albert spend there during their lives? Well, Osborne is on the Isle of Wight, which is a a small island located in the Solent off the south coast of England, just within sort of spitting distance of Southampton and Portsmouth. And how long did they spend living there? Oh, well, they spent about three to four months in total of, of every year here. It was, it was really one of the favourite places for Victoria and Albert to spend time. And was Osborne their venue of choice when it came to spending Christmas as well? Well, as a couple, they spent Christmases together at Windsor Castle. But after Albert's death in 1861, Queen Victoria's calendar of visits changed completely. And thereafter, she avoided Windsor, where she and Albert had spent happy Christmases together, and uh, came to Osborne. So for more or less the 40 years that Queen Victoria spent as a widow, she came over to Osborne to celebrate Christmas. And why did they have Christmas at Windsor Castle? Was there a particular reason for that? I think it had so many associations. It was resonant with all sorts of happy memories for Victoria and Albert. It was where they had first met, really. It's where they first got to know each other. Uh, They spent their honeymoon there. So it was really, I suppose, you know, one of their principal places to be. So I, I guess that's really the reason for it. And of course, it was closer to London as well. Yes, they were nearer the state, so to speak. Yes, exactly. I mean, after Albert's death, I mean, Queen Victoria really kind of retreated from public life. And so coming over to the Isle of Wight was was more appropriate, really, I suppose. And why did uh, Victoria switch those locations then after Albert's death? I mean, you've, you've touched on it a bit there that she wanted to get away from it a bit more. Well, yes, I mean, I think places for Queen Victoria were so important and they were imbued with lots of memories, good, bad or indifferent, I suppose. And so after Albert's death, she really wanted to avoid places where, for instance, they had had birthdays together, they had spent their wedding anniversaries together, they'd spent Christmas together. And so her whole calendar of visits changed completely so that she avoided these places with their associations. So she was really, really very strongly in mourning. 
Oh, yes. I mean, when Albert died, she was absolutely devastated. And, you know, within a few days, she came here to Osborne in the deepest mourning. And, of course, she mourned Albert for, for 40 years. But, um, she, you know, she did celebrate Christmas here. They were subdued affairs to start with. But as the family grew and more grandchildren came on the scene, these family members injected, you know, an element of jollity back into the Queen's life. So she had never celebrated Christmas at Osborne with Prince Albert before this, before, before his death. That's right. Victoria and Albert never celebrated Christmas here together at Osborne. Always birthdays, however. Yes, which we covered in episode <laughs> and, one. Uh, exactly, exactly. I mean, this year is so important uh, for remembering Victoria and Albert. Uh, this is the 200th anniversary of their births. They were both born in 1819, and they always came here to Osborne for their birthdays in May and August. Mm. So looking at Christmas at Osborne then, I can sort of imagine from what you've described, lots of grandchildren running around, the Queen trying to put a brave face on it, knowing that she has lost her husband. We're talking the early 1860s here. So if you were a time traveller and you uh, walked into this Victorian Christmas happening at Osborne in that period, what, what would people see? Well, it was a, a German Christmas, really, to all intents and purposes. You know, even though Albert had died, Queen Victoria continued to maintain all the Germanic traditions that she was sure were around uh, with Albert. He came from Germany, of course, and was very sort of homesick, I think, throughout most of their marriage for his homeland. And so, you know, Queen Victoria made sure that there was, uh, you know, the Germanic tradition of decorated Christmas trees, evergreen decorations around the house you know, lit Christmas trees everywhere, and of course the giving of, of, of presents. So, although Albert wasn't around physically, his memory was very tangible here uh, at Osborne still. You mentioned the Christmas trees there, obviously, and the Victorians are credited with popularising the Christmas tree, but not necessarily being the first members of the royal family to have one. Am I right in saying that? Yes, that's correct, yes. It was a, a couple of generations before Victoria and Albert. Um, Queen Charlotte, who was married to George III, she came from Germany, of course, herself. And it was her who really brought the decorated evergreen Christmas tree to England. But of course, Victoria and Albert famously illustrated, um, you know, standing side by side with their children in front of a big decorated Christmas tree. And I think that appeared in one of the, I think it was the illustrated the London News or one of the newspapers and magazines of the time in about the 1840s and that really got that sort of tradition out there in the public eye and everybody saw it and wanted to you know follow on and follow the same fashion really which of course we still do today. Yeah of course and that would have been while they were having Christmas at Windsor Castle while he was alive. Yes, that was in the early years of their marriage. So yes, it would have been at Windsor, but very much the same tradition of a room set aside here at Osborne, where all the gifts would have been laid out, a table for every member of the family on which would have been a potted uh, Christmas tree, lavishly decorated and lit with real candles. Yeah, you mentioned the tables there, because this is the thing that they have in the birthday celebrations as well, don't they? They, they lay out the gifts unwrapped, on tables. That's something that we don't have today, is it? This is obviously a purely Victorian thing. Yes, it is. I mean, there was no sort of hiding and squirrelling away of gifts under the Christmas tree wrapped up in glittery paper. As you say, everything was 
arranged, laid out on tables in a room, and the family would then go into the room, the trees would have been lit, and then they would have just sort of seen all their gifts laid out. They would have had little tags on them saying, you know, who, who had sent, who had given them. Uh, so it was a quite a different, more formal kind of arrangement of, of gift giving and exchange. Where do you think this idea of wrapping came from then? That's a very good question. I, I think it probably just sort of uh, developed from down into more kind of middle class <laughs> traditions, really, you know, from the aristocratic traditions. Mm. I suppose if you're just laying it out on a table, then you can see everything that is for you straight away. There's no sort of mystery or, or fun or surprise in, in no, I know it's half the fun, isn't it? Is sort of tearing into the wrapping paper, and uh, that, that's all part of the fun of it. But possibly the children, I suspect, in the nurseries with their tutors and uh, governesses, may have received their gifts in that sort of way. But I think for the Queen and members of the, the royal family, it was a much more formal affair. So we talked about the presents, and we talked about the trees, and those traditions seem very much alive at that time. But um, one thing that we don't have much of today is a lot of country houses with servants. And at this time, the Queen would have had her servants. Now, how would their traditional Christmas Eve and Christmas Day panned out? Presumably, they'd be working. Well, they would have been working. I think Christmas Day, Christmas Eve would have been normal working days for them. But, of course, Queen Victoria was very involved with her servants. She took a very maternal interest in all of her servants. It was an extended family, really, in a way. And we know that in the servants' hall, all the servants, and there were over a hundred of them, would get together and Queen Victoria and members of the royal family would come from their rooms down into the servants' hall in which there would have been a large decorated Christmas tree and the Queen gave out herself with her own hands <laughs> the gifts that she gave to all her, her servants. So she gave out a hundred presents? She did, she did, on Christmas Eve because this was another German custom that the exchange of gifts was done on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day and the Queen would give out books, clothing, food to all the servants. So it must have taken quite a long, quite a long time I suspect but it was something that the Queen did every single year and she would do that before receiving her own gifts. So between 1860, is that right, um, or 1861, and her death, she would have given out a hundred presents each year to these servants. Yes. I mean, she would go into the servants' hall with usually some of her daughters, some of her family, and together they would give out gifts to the servants, yeah. That's very generous, isn't it? That's remarkable as well. A logistical nightmare in some respects. No, it's very interesting. There was a sort of hierarchy. You know, Christmas Eve, usually in the morning, the Queen would give out gifts to her very close personal servants, like her dressers and pages, and these very uh, close servants that occupied the same sort of rooms as the Queen, really, and would have been in constant daily attendance on her quite closely. And then late afternoon, 
the queen and the family would go into the servants' hall, give out the gifts to her servants and estate workers, and then only after all that had been done would the royal family then, around six o'clock, go into the dining room, it usually was, which had been turned into this Christmas present room with all the tables and the gifts laid out and the Christmas trees lit and glittering with real candles. So it wasn't until everyone else had got their presents that the Queen and the royal family got theirs. It's a nice touch, really, isn't it? Well, it is. It is really, I think, you know, that she put everyone else really before the family, which is very nice. And did the servants return the favour with presents for Her Majesty and the children? I think some of her closer servants, like her dressers and pages, would have given gifts. And of course, there were members of the royal household here, her ladies-in-waiting, her secretaries and so on. They would have given her gifts, I think. Maybe some of the estate workers and um, lower servants probably wouldn't, I suspect. Do some of these presents survive as records in her diaries, or do they survive in the house that people can see today? Uh, We don't have any in the house, but there are references in the Queen's diaries to the gifts that she would have have received and, and also given herself. So, yes, I mean, Victoria and Albert famously gave each other jewellery, works of art, sculptures, paintings. The children and grandchildren would have given Queen Victoria things that they would have made themselves, <laughs> paintings that they would have done, sort of bit, little bits of embroidery and handicrafts that they would have made. So there was a great variety of gift giving from the, the sort of fine art end to the home crafted end. And like their birthdays, as we discussed in episode one, there would have been more than one gift. Oh yes, indeed. The tables groaned with gifts. (laughs) You know, there there were, were a lot of gifts given. Let's talk about the food then. What was a typical Christmas lunch or dinner at Osborne? Well... We've got records of food that would have been served uh, on Christmas Day and on Christmas Eve. And it was turkey, actually. I mean, very much as we would sit down to today for our Christmas Christmas dinner, uh, turkey and all the trimmings, really. Uh, We know that, you know, the Queen would have had a very similar kind of lunch with plum pudding. There were a lot of courses. There would have been various starters, soups, turkey, chipolatas, <laughs> all these kind of things that you know were very fashionable in the Victorian period and we sort of have inherited. Very much a similar kind of fare, really. I was expecting you to say goose or hog's head or something like that, or maybe some beef. Well, there was a, there was beef as well, yes. I mean, there was a, a, a big selection of food available in these menus. So, you know, there were a lot of courses, but there, there was a boar's head on the side table. There were cold meats. So, yeah, it was very, um, very rich food. What about Christmas pudding? Would they have had that in those days in the royal residence? Yes, they did. They did have Christmas pudding. Yeah, that does feature quite regularly on the dessert menu. And would that have been with a custard of some kind or a cream? I think it probably would have come with some sort of um, a sauce, uh, an English custard, creme anglaise, that that kind of thing. Probably with a bit of booze in it, I suspect. (laughs) Queen Victoria, very, very fond of a a tipple she was herself. So uh, no doubt any sauces were, uh, you know, laced with um, alcohol. Of course, it doesn't like without the brandy, does it? (laughs) True. (laughs) I know, they, they, they had this game where they lit 
sort of a bowl of sort of raisins, really. It must have been raisins soaked in some sort of alcohol, which they set fire to. And you had to sort of extract <laughs> as many of these raisins as you could from the flaming bowl. And I mean, the children took part in this as well. So, you know, uh, before the days of health and safety and all that, but um, quite perilous. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I, I would never have imagined that at all. So it sounds like, despite the fact that obviously the Queen constantly, it sounds like Christmas would have been quite a nice convivial affair with plenty of goodwill. Oh yes, it was. It was. Um, particularly as time went on, you know, after Albert's death, uh, the Queen, although still mourning him, nevertheless... As more grandchildren came on the scene and time passed, her Christmases did become what they had been in days gone by, jolly, convivial, festive occasions. And part of that, of course, was the putting on of shows. We've got the big Durbar room at Osborne, the big Indian room, was turned into a, a sort of temporary theatre. And the royal family and members of the royal household would take part in living pictures, tableau vivant, so they would reenact scenes from history. No music, no speaking, no movement. They just froze in these sort of attitudes, creating a living picture. And these always took place at Christmas and into the new year. And um, these were very popular. Plays also were, were put on during the festive period. So yeah, it was, it was really quite jolly. I suppose we would probably play something similar, like charades, or... Yes, yes, exactly. Parlour games, you know, which were sort of very popular in the Victorian period, which I guess we do today with sort of board games now, and a good way of sort of, you know, recovering from the Christmas lunch. <laughs> so, yeah, they were, they were jolly, festive, um, convivial occasions here at Osborne. Would there be someone tinkling the ivories as well perhaps um family gathering around a, a piano and, and and singing carols that sort of thing oh yes music very popular the queen loved music and so yes and i mean during these tableaux there would be music played in the darbar room so yeah the house would have rung to the sound of lots of music over christmas and the new year it sounds as though that these Christmases that uh, they celebrated at Osborne aren't too dissimilar from what we have today, really. And if um, a time traveller, as I've said before, was at Osborne at that time, they'd probably feel very much at home. Yes, I think so. All the same sort of traditions and trappings really that Queen Victoria enjoyed, we do today. You know, the Queen would have spent a lot of time deciding who she was going to send her Christmas cards to. Mm. Um, you know, Christmas cards were a Victorian invention. Sir Henry Cole, he came up with the idea. He was a great friend of Prince Albert. Together they worked on the Great Exhibition, which was one of Albert's great projects. So, you know, Henry Cole came up with the idea of sending a, a greetings card, a ready printed greetings card, rather than writing out, you know, festive greetings by hand to all his friends. So Queen Victoria really took that on as well and she sent you know hundreds and hundreds of Christmas cards and in indeed you know received lots as well. Are there any other sort of traditions that they would have had at Osborne that have now become part of regular people's Christmases in the 21st century? Apart from the tree obviously. Yes well, I think obviously the big big celebratory meal is is for sure one of those and um, yeah the Christmas card the getting together, every, the whole family sort of getting together and uh, celebrating Christmas, going to church, 
which Queen Victoria always did on, on Christmas, which is maybe something that we maybe don't do quite so much nowadays perhaps, but that was certainly a big part of Queen Victoria's Christmas. It was a religious festival after all. And would she have um, attended in private there on the Isle of Wight? Or is there a chapel at Osborne? There is. That was built late in Queen Victoria's life in the 1880s. A chapel was built here at Osborne so that she was able to worship on site here. Before that, she would go down to Whippingham Church, which was about five miles away, roughly. So she would go by horse and carriage from Osborne to Whippingham. And the whole family would go as well on Christmas morning? The whole family would go, yes, indeed, yes. Would there have been well-wishers attending the church as well? Yes, I think local people would have turned up to see the Queen and wish her well on on the festive season. But things were quite quiet on the island. You know, the Queen loved the privacy and the quietness of Osborne and the Isle of Wight, but I'm sure estate workers would have gathered at the church to see her. So... Was Osborne the only place where Queen Victoria would spend Christmas after Albert's death? Was it just Osborne? Essentially, yes. There were a few years when she had to be elsewhere. I mean, for example, one year her eldest son, the Prince of Wales, was very ill and she went to Sandringham which meant that she couldn't come to Osborne for Christmas. But it was very rare that she didn't come to Osborne for Christmas. In talking about the festive experience at Osborne with Queen Victoria and her family after Albert's death, I guess we probably owe a lot of our own Christmas traditions today to the Victorians. In a sense, what we're about to celebrate is a very Victorian Christmas. It's an interesting legacy, isn't it? It is. You're absolutely right. I mean, the way, the main traditions, the things that we enjoy at Christmas is a legacy uh, from our Victorian forebears, really. You know, the whole kind of notion of Dickensian Christmas, you know, the idea of Christmas that Charles Dickens conjured up in A Christmas Carol, the trees, the, the holly, the evergreen decorations, the candles on the tree, the singing of carols, the exchange of Christmas cards, the pulling of crackers... All of that was started in Queen Victoria's reign. So, yeah, it, it is. It, we are Victorian still in, in lots of ways, uh, particularly at Christmas. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. If you enjoyed our Christmas-related conversation, there's more next week as we look at some of the other English traditions and where they came from. In 1821, a New York academic and poet reinvents St. Nicholas, known in Dutch as Santa Claus, instead of shortening Nicholas to Nick, the Dutch shorten it to Klaus, Santa Claus. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hello, this is Josie Long, here to tell you about Speaking with Shadows, a podcast series from English Heritage, presented by me. With the help of researchers and local community members, I'll bring you six stories from history that we should all be talking about. Subscribe to Speaking with Shadows, the podcast that listens to the people that history forgot, and get every episode delivered to your podcast feed for free. I can't wait for you to hear this show.